This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Lee, do you know what fake talk is? Well, I, that? I'm wondering if it's, if it's anything like fake news. I don't like that. If it's anything like close talkers or loud talkers or fast talkers. I'm not real wild about that either. So I guess if you put those two things together, you get fake talk and I'm pretty sure I won't like that either. <laughs> that, we're going to learn what fake talk is today. And we're also going to learn some great ways to have difficult conversations in the workplace. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the President and CEO here at SalesFuel. So John Stoker is our guest today. We are so lucky to have him, the founder and president of Dialogue Works. He is also the author of the book, Overcoming Fake Talk. John and his firm specialize in helping leaders, managers, and individual contributors hold the conversations that matter the most. His firm also offers training in other aspects of interpersonal relations, such as emotional intelligence. He's also excellent speaker that you should definitely think about booking. And I think our first guest, who has been a Grand Canyon River guide. Hi, John. Hi, <laughs> how are you today? Show. I'm Thank great. you. Well, so let's talk about this. We said, what is fake talk? What is it? Fake talk, um, I guess, would be characterized by all those conversations that you hold with people, particularly when you have an issue of some kind or another. And you think, well, if I don't talk about this, nothing will change, so I'm going to talk about it. You may be a little antsy, a little nervous, but you do it. You feel like it ends well, that things will change, and then nothing does, <laughs> uh, which tells you that you've engaged in fake talk um, because nothing changed. So that would include any conversation, a conversation with your direct reports, with your own manager, with your spouse, with your children. There are a lot of those conversations where we think we've handled an issue and then we only find out later when we don't get the results that we expected that we didn't. How can we find out sooner that we didn't engage in fake talk, that we actually had some real talk? Actually, that's a great question. Um, and my, I guess, off-the-cuff answer to that would be is if you have a really clear plan that what you're going to do differently going forward and that you gain commitment to that plan. So let's say I committed you to give me that report I need. That TPS report, yeah. Right, Friday <laughs> morning. I have to have it on my desk by 8 o'clock in the morning. And um, bef you know, before we've held the conversation, you know, sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. So we go and have this conversation, which we'll talk about in detail, I assume. And, and we agree that you will get it to me by Friday at 8. And then here comes Friday, and it's 9.15, and I don't have it. And I've got to go into a meeting at 9.30 where I share my analysis of those sales numbers with my director. Um, then obviously I know that something's happened. There was just a disconnect that didn't happen. Um, if I had committed you and said, so you can get it to me 
and you waffled a little bit, let's say you looked down and you went, uh, yeah, I'll have it tomorrow. Then you got to realize that, you know, probably there's something else going on that you're not aware of. And so when you come up with the plan and then you gain a commitment to the plan, you know, you want to read the reaction of the person that you're interacting with. And if there's any doubts about whether they're going to be able to deliver, then you got to revisit that. Well, like you said, though, them following directions, there's two people involved in this transaction, though. And if they don't follow directions, similar to the gal when you were a guide who <laughs> you, she wanted to go take pictures from the top of a hill and you said, get out of your swimsuit and put on your tennis shoes and jeans and t-shirt. She fell on that cactus. Why? Because you said she didn't follow your directions. So no, nope, she didn't. <laughs> right. She didn't. How often does that happen? <laughs> so how do you make sure that the person that you're trying to be authentic with and say, here's the plan will actually follow the directions? Well, part of that plan has to also be that if you can't meet my uh, objectives or what you've agreed to do that you got to come tell me. Um, and mm -hmm. so you're having that as part of the conversation as well, particularly in the commitment part. So I might ask you, can you do it? Which goes to motivation. Will you do that? Goes to ability um, or vice versa. What might get in the way? What support do you need? Is there anything that you can foresee in the next 24 hours that's going to keep you I'm doing that. So if I explore all that with you and you tell me, no, you know, I can do it. I will do it. Nothing will get in the way, but I better reinforce the fact that if something is going to get in the way, I don't want to find out about it uh, at eight o'clock when I don't mm -hmm. have the report. You need to come and let me know immediately because I have to have the numbers this week. And I have to have them analyzed for this meeting that I've got to hold at 930. Uh, if I um, was the guy that was going to have to deliver those numbers to you by eight o'clock. I think a piece of information that, that you mentioned that would have been incredibly helpful and useful would have been knowing why you needed those sales numbers because you were going to have to go into a meeting with, with leadership or whatever and discuss those numbers and you needed to have them by eight o'clock for that reason. Well, and here's the thing. He knew about it or she knew about it. She knew that on Thursday she was supposed to collect all the information from the field and put them into the report that she typically does, mm -hmm. and that she has them on my desk by 8 o'clock in the morning Friday so that I can go over them. Why? Because at 9 o'clock, I have to um, review those numbers with the director, and we talk about strategy because at 10 o'clock, we're going to go meet with the VP of sales and the CEO to talk about what our numbers were, what we might do differently. So he or she knows that that's what typically happens. So then all of a sudden out of the blue, the last two weeks in a row, I don't get that report as has been typical. So I want to go back and hold the conversation and discover what in heaven's name has happened. Um, and until I know that, I can't really just say, look, I needed it at eight and expect it to happen. There's something else going on mm -hmm. that I'm not aware of. Does that make sense? Well, I, I, I would wonder if you could clarify if they actually do know that, you know, that that's what you're going to do with the information, you know, and, and then maybe ask a follow-up question about if, if they understand the importance of that. Uh, because it seems to me that, you know, if, I, if you were my boss and you're asking me to do that, I understood what was going to happen with it, you know, what my role in this process is and why it was important. Um, yeah, I think that, that those are 
clarifying questions perhaps that you can use to help get to the, the crux of what the real issue is. But, but you're right. There is a hidden issue there. You just have to find it somehow. Yep. And I'd agree with you. If you don't take the time to explain why you need it and when and why, um, then you're right. The person is probably not as motivated to get you what you need if they don't understand the ramifications mm -hmm. of their behavior or their poor performance. So why do you think that people avoid talking about what matters most? And what is the definition of what matters most? Well, one, let's take that because it's different for every person. Um, what may matter to you may not matter to me. But the thing is, is that, you know, I did research on this for the book. And um, I was interested in why people were afraid to talk about what was important to them. And it was so interesting that the, I, the top five um, reasons that people kind of shared went something like this. Think number one was, oh, I'm afraid if I speak up, I'll lose my job. Number two was, I don't know what to say. Now, when they said that, notice what they're really saying is, I know there's a way to do this effectively. I don't know what it is. So it's probably easier for me not to attempt it and blow it than do. I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings was number three on the hit parade. <laughs> number four was, I don't know how they'll respond. And what's hidden in that answer was people don't like conflict. And so if they think the person's going to blow up or lose it, then they're apt not to do it. And the last one, which was interesting, number five in the list, and the demographics on this question from the research I did was interesting. These were mostly people who are millennials in the demographics. They said, I don't want people not to like me. Mm -hmm. So they were afraid that if they spoke up and talked about what was important to them, if there was any risk of offense or conflict that the other person might not like them. Now, here's what's interesting about all of those. What people are doing is projecting in the present into the future of what will happen negatively with no evidence in the present. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. took that one, I will lose my job. Well, how do they know that? You know, have they ever lost a job for speaking up before? Or have they seen anybody that's done it? Most of the time not. But if they think that's what will happen, if they make that projection into the present with no data in the future, then that's what their, their perception is going to lead them to think, oh, this is what will happen, and so therefore I'm not going to talk about it. In fact, I like to say if you just put an overall umbrella or penumbra over it, it's fear, and fear that's for right. us is an acronym of fantasized experience appearing real. Um, mm. So when an individual perceives and projects that a problem will arise for what they think they're going to talk about, they probably won't do it. And then that means that things don't change or improve. Well, you start off with three Ps there. I thought you were going to finish it off with a fourth one, which would be procrastination. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they, I think people either think, oh, I don't do this well, and then you're right. They put it off till the last moment, until they feel like they absolutely have to. And then they screw it up. <laughs> and then when it doesn't go well, that becomes the justification going forward for, you know what, I'm not doing this again. So um, 
Yeah, yep. the, the, the art part of fear becomes real at that point because like, yeah, okay, that's, that's what I thought might happen. That's why, I was, oh, that's why I was worried about. So in a very real sense, we create our results by the way we think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I which call is that a little, catastrophic thinking. Yeah, which is a little scary. <laughs> so, Yeah, you had mentioned, you know, someone, I'm afraid someone might blow up or, you know, get mad at me or something like that. So how do you handle that? Uh, do you have any tips for managers then? So when they're having a difficult conversation with somebody like that and the other person then comes back at you and they're coming in hot, you know, what's the first thing that a, that a good manager must do in that situation? Okay, so... That's part of the connection principle in my book. Um, and what people, our managers have to realize is that when people get defensive or they start to blow up, perceptually, they're thinking that the other person is violating a value that they hold. Hmm. So I like to say that an emotional reaction, and I mean a negative one, not a happy one, Right, like if I said, "Oh, I don't agree with that," and you fired back, oh, "Why? Why don't you agree with it?" If you fired back like that, then I know that perceptually you're interpreting something I'm saying or doing negatively, and that you're perceiving that I'm violating a value that you hold. So this is a different way of of listening and attending to what people are doing. So if we just recognize that that emotion symbolizes symbolizes a, via, a violated value, I would start asking questions. Help me understand um, what's going on. I probably would reflect their emotion. I can see you're upset. Tell me more about that. Tell me why you're upset. What do you think I'm thinking? You know, And I would try and do that from the perspective of uncovering what the value is. Now, I can ask a more pointed question if I wanted to, and just say, tell me what it is that you want and why. So, the so that's want, reflect most and people will ask, well, what do you want? But they never ask the why question. Mm-hmm. And the why question is the value. Well, uh-huh. I wanted to take enough time to get this done right. Why is that so important to you? Well, this client has complained in the past that sometime our work is not what they expected. So notice the value that they're telling me is, is they have a value for surprising and delighting their client, mm-hmm. or they have a value for doing exceptional work. And they're afraid that if they don't have the time to do it, that they're going to get results that they've gotten kind of in the past. So you got to go, you got to ask the what question, but you have to ask the why question. I like to actually say that the why is always behind the what. And oftentimes managers will not ask for the why behind the what, which means they're going to miss what the value is. Mm-hmm. Right. Once I know what the value is, then we could explore, all right, how much time do you think you need? Two weeks. Um, is there a way to do it quicker if we increase the amount or number of resources that you had available to you? So now – we're still acknowledging, right, that the value for superior performance is important, but we're exploring alternatives for being able to address that value in maybe a shorter time frame um, rather than throwing the value out and not addressing it at all. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. What is, uh, what is a guest to confess? I read that in your book. I found that fascinating. 
Oh, guess to confess. A guessing question, that's a type of uh, questioning skill. Um, if I said to you, are you mad at me because I was a little late this morning? All you have to do is confess and say, yes. <laughs> and so a guessing question is where you're giving the person kind of the answer in the question, and all they have to do is say yes or no. Um, and that's a whole lot easier for some people than just saying, hey, what's up with you today? Notice that's an open-ended question, mm -hmm. and the person has to give an answer. And maybe they don't feel comfortable in answering. But if I said, hey, are you upset with me because I was a little late to the meeting today? And they go, yeah. Then I got the answer from them. So that's what the guest confessed. Thing or, or, they say, or they say no because they also don't want they, – because they, they want to avoid confrontation. If they said no, then I, then I might guess again. Hmm. Um, and ask a different guessing question. Well, are you upset because of something that has to do with my work? No. Um, well, is there um, something about the way that I've delivered for you in the past that has gone unresolved? Well, notice as soon as I get that well with a the hesitation. There it is. There it is, right. Yeah. So I, I might go, well, could you share with me what it is? Well, you should know. <laughs> I've heard you know, that one. <laughs> and they come firing back, and then I would Classic. say, yes. well, you know, I wish I did know, but I'm not going to be able to address it unless we're absolutely crystal clear about what my behavior has been and what I've done that's violated your expectations. So could you please share it with me? I love that. Um, I know I promised at the top of the show to talk a little bit about um, style conversational, real conversation style. Um, can you t tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, this is kind of interesting, but, you know, everybody's got all these instruments. There's the Berkman, there's disc, there's, you know, just to mention two. And what I ended up doing was looking at it and saying, there's got to be an easier way for people to be able to recognize that people have a different style than maybe you do. And style is really a function that if I don't have the same style you do, vice versa, then we run the risk of offending each other because we are not the same. And so what I did was is I boiled down uh, or identified four different styles. Um, which are initiator, builder, connector, and um, discoverer. And I started to notice all the mental, visual, verbal, and vocal cues that people demonstrate <coughs> that tells you what their style is. So in the book, um, one of the principles is the reflection principle. And that's the cha that's the chapter on style. In fact, the chapter is called, Do You Ruin Everything by Being You? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that happens more frequently than we realize. We're just our style, and my style's not your style, and so just me being me 
turns other people off. So I've often had people who will come to a training class and come up on the first break and say, my manager sent me here for you to fix me. <laughs> you know, and I'm going, great. You know what I need to fix? You know, no, no, they said you'd know. <laughs> well, so what I, as I explore that, go ahead, what? <laughs> I said the reputation precedes you, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> what was interesting is as we got to talking, uh, the manager would tell this person, well, you're cold, direct, blunt, and aloof. Well, what they're really telling that person is your style's not my style. Not so my once I basically showed the person, here's how you're coming across, and it's not their style, what you need to do is recognize what the other person's style is by the mental, visual, vocal, and verbal cues they're sending you, and then match that style. Um, are there so, styles that are sort of like natural enemies for like dogs and cats? Um, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, very much so. For example, at work, I'm what they call an initiator, a type A personality. Let's get it done. Yesterday. Right? But in class or when I'm speaking, I'm more of a builder. I'm animated. I tell a lot of stories. I use a lot of voice inflection and the like. So my style may change based on the context, you know, that I'm in. Well, I have to be very, very careful. By the way, our research we did says 87% of first-time marriages marry somebody of an opposite style. So my sweet spouse is a connector. And 39% of the population are connectors. And the connectors are kind of the quiet types. Um, they work very well in groups and in teams. They're excellent at execution, but they don't speak up much. So in team meetings, they're the person who kind of sits there with their head down and doesn't say anything unless you invite them in. So one day, my SEO guy came to give a report on what he was doing with our website. And when he left, I walked him to the front door. My spouse was coming in. I'd forgot my lunch at home, and she was bringing my lunch. And this guy was at the office door, and I said, Brian, great job. Bill me, dude. And he goes, all right, and he left. And my spouse came in and said, my gosh, does anybody like to work with you? <laughs> and I said, what, what do you mean? She goes, well, you were so rude to him. I go, I just said, great job, Bill me. What, what would you have said? And she said, well, I would have said, it's been so great to see you today. I really enjoyed our meeting. You're doing just a fabulous job. It would be really, really nice if you say could, hello to your husband for me. I hope your <laughs> kids are doing well. <laughs> if you could send me a bill sometime in the next seven to ten days, thanks so much for coming. And I'm going, why? Why would I say that? We just, you know, but that's. I just the, said all that. I just, it was just more, more economical. Yeah, so it's word. a different style, right? It's like, so to her, me just saying, hey, man, great job, Bill Mate, was rude. Because my style's not her style. Um, Your style speaks in bullet points. Yeah, and her style is much more appreciative and relationship-oriented and probably softer, you know, in tone and the like. So um, style's a fascinating, is a fascinating concept. But the reason we call it the reflection principle is because people are always reflecting their style to you. Mm-hmm. That's one principle, part of the principle. The other principle, which is really interesting, 
is that people will reflect your style back to you. So you've seen this if you walk through the grocery store and you look for the grumpiest person you can find, and you look at them in the eye and you smile and go, hey, how's it going? And, and they're kind of shocked, and they smile a little bit and go, fine, how are you? You know, so what they did was you reflected a positive style or interaction to them, and they reflected it back to you. Um, in fact, for your listeners, I challenge them to kind of do that. It's really quite fascinating. Just always look for opportunities to connect with people by looking at them, smiling, and saying hello, and um, seeing what they get back. And that's that principle that a person will reflect what you give them back to you. Well, I recommend everybody get your book, John, um, Overcoming Fake Talk. And I know that you like to be a keynote speaker. So the website is dialogueworks.com. And then the Facebook is Dialogue Works and your LinkedIn, John Stoker. And it's S-T-O-K-E-R, everybody. Um, John, what a pleasure. I, I just want everybody to get the book so they can see what those cues are and start observing people a lot more closely and unravel all these secrets that you share with us. Well, great. That'd be fantastic if people were interested in doing that. Thanks for being on the show. The Manage Smarter podcast lives at managesmarter.com, everybody. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you have a guest that you'd like to suggest, please go to that website and let us know. And subscribe, rate, and review. Tell a friend. Share the show. We appreciate it. And uh, John, thanks for coming on. Have a great Pleasure. day, sir. Pleasure. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.